If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, this is not Bill Shatner, but if you like the 430 movie, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts. Available wherever you listen to the 430 movie. You might even find out what God needs with a starship. It's the podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a Star Trek fan and you haven't already picked up the hardcover edition of the 50-year mission, it's time for you to go out and get the paperback version of the 50-year mission, which is just out in paperback from St. Martin's Press. This is the complete oral history of Star Trek, the first 25 years, from me and Ed Gross. And if you think you know everything there is to know about Star Trek, think again. The 50-year mission, out in paperback now. And if you can't read, the audiobook is still available. Hey, are you Darren Docterman from the 430 movie? Why, why, yes, I am. Well, I recognize you because I have the Electric Now app, and I get to see all these great Electric Surge podcasts on video for the first time ever. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that uh, you came up to me and said hello. Well, I got to tell you, how can I watch all these incredible podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The Best Movies Never Made, and uh, other things? Well, you can find us on uh, Distro and on uh, uh, the Electric Now app. And Stir. And Stir, see, I, stir I, I knew you knew it. I did know. Because I'm not really a stranger <laughs> on the street. I'm Mark A. Altman, your co-host. <laughs> well, maybe I should have been watching these podcasts all along. I would have recognized you. Join us on Electric Now, currently streaming on Distro TV and Stir, and coming soon to the Electric Now app. How do we start the show again? I forgot. What do I say? I say, uh, I say, hi, I'm Mark oh, Altman. I, that's right. <laughs> hi, I'm Mark A. Altman. And I'm Darren Doctorman, and we are the, the Mixed glorious, Up Inglorious Trexperts. Thank you, Darren. That, well, I that was, uh, that I needed was a little help smooth with that as glass. Smooth as glass. You see, <laughs> speaking of glass, yes. did you see what Warner Brothers, just uh, Microsoft and Warner Brothers? I did. Where they're now storing archival prints or on, going to be on... On Kryptonian crystal. Well, and <laughs> I, I love the fact, it's like quartz glass yeah. where they're going to store. Because in the past, it's very difficult to store because film can disintegrate. It disintegrates. And, uh, galaxies, galaxies collide. collide. Um, uh, women are you know, Digital is unreliable. Yeah. You know, um, so they, <laughs> they found this new way to store stuff for hundreds, if not thousands of years on this crystal. And right. somebody very cheekily, the, the test yeah. case was Superman the movie. Right. Superman? That, <laughs> that no, that's Superman too. Oh, right. And I thought that was really cool. It's very cool. I mean, especially because now that all of uh, you know physical media is dead, Right. That will be the only movie that will be preserved for eons. Superman the movie. Superman the movie. We, that's a and whole other show. Just Still, fine. the greatest superhero movie. Who, of what all is time. that voice? Who, who, who is that, that voice? Well, it is Superman's? special guest, returning champion. <laughs> you know him as Movie Mance. Uh, he is a respected film critic, a Star Trek enthusiast. I won't say Trekkie because I think it's a terrible term. It is a terrible term. I won't term. say Trekker either. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I'm going to call him a Trek enthusiast. He's a Trekist. I Par love excellence. that word. He's a Trekkant. Scott Mance. A Trek enthusiast. From this point forward, that is how I'm going to refer to myself if someone says, oh, so you're a Trek, you're a Trekker? No, stop right there. Enthusiasms. I am a Trek enthusiast. <laughs> I am a Trek cheerleader, especially today. <laughs> a man has enthusiasms. And, of course, joining him is uh, another Trek expert, or should I say Trek enthusiast. Enthusiast. Mr. Ashley E. Miller. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you. This is good. This is going to be good. So we're, we're talking about... Here we are, 10 years later. People are saying, people are talking <laughs> about, they're not really, they're talking about um, the 10th anniversary, God, I feel old, of uh, Star Trek young. 2009. Mm -hmm. Right. And... Um, you, you can know, tell it's the 10th anniversary because it's Star Trek 2009. You know, it's getting to the end of the year, and a lot of people ask us, when are you going to do the show 
on you know honoring uh, the because we did anniversaries. We did Star Trek Five anniversary. Yeah, sorry we did to hear Free that. Enterprise twentieth. We did uh, Star Trek Three thirty fifth. Sure. So um, did you do this, the motion picture fortieth? Of course you did. We've, did, we've, we've done, done motion several. Picture, several. Someone's I mean, not the, this going to staff meetings. You guys have barely talked that, about it. The Star Trek the motion picture fortieth. We've been doing all year long. You know, you can amazing. find Inglorious Trexperts wherever you get podcasts. So. I, I've got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> that much has It's been really good lately, too. We had Doug Trumbull on, Bob Salen, who is a- Oh, a, Robert Salen. Uh, the Star best. Trek Great guy. And yep. we've had um, uh, we've had Rika Sharma, who is really, really good. Yeah. And, and then Bill George, fantastic. And perhaps the best of all, although well, Bill George is pretty awesome, Alan Spencer was on uh, a couple weeks ago. Fantastic. Alan- Really interesting um, in that he, at 15 years old, was a writer for Mork and Mindy on the Paramount lot, and all the other kids didn't let him play in their reindeer games. They made fun of him, these these people. Gene Roddenberry befriended him, and he talked to us about what it was like to be on the lot in 1979 and be friends with Gene Roddenberry while he was writing for Mork and Mindy. Great episode. While Roddenberry was running for Mork and Mindy? (laughs) Yes. Roddenberry was not. That's why they got along, because, you know, Alan did not write for Star Trek. And so, Gene, you know, they were just like, I can't even say contemporaries, because Alan was 15 and, you know, Gene was whatever he was. But great story. So anyway, the show's been great. It's up to you to ruin it now. Uh, Now, (laughs) one of the reasons we have uh, uh, Scott here to join us is uh, not only is, is Scott... A Probably huge, a fan. huge a Star huge. Trek fan, <laughs> but he also is a um, a huge fan of Star Trek 2009. Big time, big time, absolutely. I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Why are you talking to me, man? Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives including yours. I dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. You will experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. Pull your chute! We received a distress call. I've been waiting for this day my whole life. This day of reckoning. I've got no captain and no first officer to replace him. Yeah, we do. You are capable of deciding your own destiny. The question is, which path will you choose? James T. Kirk was a great man, but that was another life. They're locking torpedoes. Emergency evasive! Fire everything! You know, I have to say, Star Trek 2009 is a movie with uh, a large fan base. Uh, a lot of people uh, have called it the gateway drug, where uh, people who maybe weren't Star Trek fans before embrace the show based mm-hmm. on their love of the film. Yep. So we thought, who better than, than uh, Scott Mance to come and talk about well, the film? Well, seriously, when you when you emailed me and said, hey, you want to come on Inglorious Trexperts to talk to Star Trek 2009, I mean, immediately the answer was abso- absolutely and just to give you an idea just how much I really do love Star Trek 2009, on May 8th of this year, May 8th was the exact 10-year anniversary when Star Trek 2009 opened in theaters. Mm-hmm. So on that day, I emailed J.J. Abrams because I do have his email address. And I said – in the subject column, it said happy Nigerian anniversary. Money. And I wrote <laughs> – Hey, JJ, just want to say happy anniversary uh, this this year, this date, uh, 10 years ago, Star Trek 2009 premiered. And thank you so much for everything you've done for Star Trek uh, then and since. And he replied the same day. 
He said, thank you so much for that. That was really sweet of you. He goes, has it really been 10 years? Damn you, time. Damn you. Uh, and then he said, I can't wait for you to see Star Wars Episode Nine. I think you're really going to love it. Because I've forgotten all about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that part he didn't say. But, I mean, he responded right away because I think everyone at Bad Robot, especially J.J. and the cast members of those three movies, they knew – and I'm sure still know that I, I was and still am a big champion, not just of 2009, but of all of those movies, including Into Darkness, which I'm sure we'll get into maybe a little bit in this uh, conversation. I hope we do. You know, it's funny. Um, it's hard for people not to know you're a fan because, of course, um, famously, uh, you know, you, you were the film critic for Access Hollywood. And, and one of my fondest memories uh, was you showing your bar mitzvah album oh, yeah, yeah. to uh, oh. Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine. Well, when I, when I interviewed the, the cast and J.J. in 2009, see, see, when you're watching the raw interview of my interviews with uh, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, they sat next to each other. They were paired for those interviews. So, you know, they walk into the room, they don't know me from anybody, and they sit down. I'm wearing a, you know, vintage uh, Star Trek shirt that I had since I was 13 years old. It still fits. Good for you. It still fits. You know, (laughs) I haven't gained, you know, I'm still a, you know, skinny guy, whatever. And, and so I'm all excited because as a Star Trek fan, I love the movie, but also as a film critic, a film enthusiast, a film, you know, champion, I love the movie. So on both of those levels, I love the film. And you could tell watching that first interview with these guys that they went from being like, this guy's a wacko, he's a weirdo, to warming up to me throughout the course of the interview. And by the end of the interview, they're like, wow, this guy is a Trek, a Trek enthusiast. Plus, <laughs> he is a film critic. And on both levels, he loved this movie. Like, right. like, like you cannot get a better, uh, 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 a better uh, validation than that. So cut to four years later when they had the uh, the press interviews for Star Trek Into Darkness in London, and I got to go and do those interviews. So I'm like, how do I top that 2009 interview? Because when you watch that interview, it's so genuine. How do I top that? How do I top that? So the day that I left, it hit me, and I ran into my, my man cave, and I grabbed my Bar Mitzvah album from November 21st, 1981, my 13th birthday, mm-hmm. which was a Star Trek-themed Bar Mitzvah. And he must I put have been it so in popular my, in school. I put it, it was on my a, carry-on. It was a Star Mitzvah. You know, Star, star <laughs> Mitzvah. Oh, man. Where were you back in 81? I was 13. You were 13? <laughs> Where were you in 84? Where were you in 59? So, so, so I, I swear, like, like this, this interview is my legacy. It's on YouTube. And Your when I'm so sorry. When, no, no, no. When when they came into my room that day the, on on May fourth, two thousand thirteen, that was the date of the interview, and it was at the uh, it was at a you know in London, and they walked in, and Chris Pine was eating a bowl of cereal, and they walk in, like, oh hey, great to see you, and they're like, uh, are you our first interview of the day? And I said yes, and Chris is like, oh great, you know, he's like finishing up the cereal, <laughs> so they sit down. And the cameras were rolling. I said, all right, fellas, you know, uh, I know you know Star Trek runs really deep with me. So I brought proof, and I held up the album. And, and Zach Quinto goes, are those photos? I said, this is my Star Trek bar mitzvah. And they're like, oh, my God, we got to see this. So for the course of the interview, all they're doing is going through the photos. Forget the interview. Forget talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. The interview was about my Star Trek bar mitzvah. Which was probably Best more entertaining. Ever. Best interview ever. <laughs> It was great. Yeah. Wow. Special. I have an equally pathetic story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going through, I'm, I'm cleaning my garage because I'm looking for stuff for the podcast. I'm looking for memos and stuff and everything. And, you know, and I find, uh, I find this old thing from elementary school. You know, in fifth grade back then, when you were leaving elementary school, people would sign. It's not like signing a yearbook. It's like a little autograph book. And all the other students would sign and stuff. So, you know, all the people were saying until Star Trek. So apparently I was a huge Star Trek fan back then. Go figure. Apparently. But <laughs> my favorite was this girl, Maria. No idea who she is. But uh, it writes to me. She goes, I hope one day you recognize your dream to meet Mr. Spock. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I met Leonard. Many Little times. did you know. Little did she and know. Bill. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Bill. Yeah. And Walter. Made a movie with Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but thanks thanks babe. But um, I, it was it was really nice. It was it was it was you know what? It was very satisfying. It was very sweet. And I'm I'm, I'm being facetious about it, but it was like oh that's pretty cool, you know? Because it's it's it's. Uh, I, but I can't tell you how embarrassing it was to. I was reading through, like almost every freaking page would reference 
Star Trek. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Trekkie. Yeah. Maybe that's why I like Trek enthusiasts. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny you're bringing up like a childhood memory that goes back to Star Trek because when I was growing up in Philadelphia, you know, you you, you went to elementary school, middle school, and high school with basically the same people. Right. So I know we talked about this before because uh, you know you referenced this, Mark. Uh, you know, I grew up with this guy. His name's Todd Capriati, big guy. He was big then. He's big now. Nice guy, but. Uh, What's to say back then in the, in the late seventies and early eighties, you know, being a Trek enthusiast was not exactly a badge of honor, <laughs> but I wore it like a badge of honor right, because sure. I loved Star Trek. Then I was proud of it. I mean, I still am. Um, you showed off and, your scars and your bruises. Uh, what's yeah. that? You showed off your scars and your bruises. I, I from did. The time I, mean, I was like, you know, I, I just, I was a big champion. I just loved it. I loved it so much. So, so I got picked on quite a bit. And this guy Todd, he was, he picked on me quite a lot. So when I went back east uh, to uh, Philadelphia for my twenty fifth uh, my twenty fifth high school reunion mm-hmm. in two thousand eleven, so and it's been two years since the two thousand nine movie came out. So Todd comes up to me, and you know everyone's coming up to me anyway because I'm on TV. You're a celebrity because I'm a celebrity, you know, <laughs> a hometown kid did pretty good, you know, and and so Todd comes up, he puts his arm around me because he could do that. He goes, you know, Mance, I know I used to make fun of you for being a Trekkie and all that stuff, but uh, that last movie was amazing. And I put my arm around him, you know, reached up, you know, and I said, Todd, welcome aboard. <laughs> See, it's good thing Darren wasn't there. I'm not a drama critic. Um, but uh, I, so I want to ask Ashley. I want to ask Ashley because, sure. of course, you know, we, we learned about the bar mitzvah. Now, obviously, you didn't have a bar mitzvah. Uh, no, I know. Uh, but but, I, I did have a bris, sort of. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you did, you know, when, when you did Thor – um, you know, spend some time with, with Chris Hemsworth, who was uh, George Kirk. Um, you didn't show him any childhood photos or anything. No, <laughs> certainly, especially not of the Briss. Uh, <laughs> Why not? Because he's got a phaser. I want to ask you, though. I mean, you know, uh, he talked a little bit about being a fan of Star Trek as a kid. Were you, were you a big fan of Star Trek? Oh, my God, was I a big fan of Star Trek as a kid. Uh, I was kind of pressed into service as a Star Trek fan by my insane older brother who had a, a Star Trek club. He, uh, he made me a red shirt. Uh, he was six years older than I was. I didn't quite get the uh, sending the a message of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had to swear an oath. Um, I was always on the lookout for a Klingon or a Romulan club in the neighborhood. Mm. Uh, watched the show every day. You know, once we had a VCR, I recorded every episode. You know, I was that kid. I was exactly you kids who could watch like the first picosecond of an episode, see what direction the Enterprise was pointing or what the color of the planet was, and hear the first sting of music and know exactly what oh, yeah. episode I was looking at. Um, I was 100% that kid, man. Um, you, you know, I, I think my uh, the, the closest I came um, to, uh, to, to tragedy in my, my career as a, as a young Star Trek fan is um, when I was a lad, when, when Star Trek II was released. Now, I was really into reading novelizations oh, God, of movies. Don't tell me. So, you know, I had read the Star Trek the Motion Picture novelization, which really had me on edge to go see that movie. I said, Oh my God, they're gonna be man, it's gonna, it's gonna be new read, humans, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be crazy. And Star Trek Two. That book comes out Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. I don't mm. think on the novelization it was called Two. I think it was just called Star Trek The Wrath of Khan on the book cover. Hmm. Um, I well, wasn't read that, it. that because that was the original there was a title remember Bob Salen talked right. about this how Nick wanted it to be Star Trek The Wrath of Khan right. he didn't want it to say two and it was later for home video they added the two I believe so that maybe that makes sense right like didn't you host a print at the Egyptian theater one time we did where it said Star Trek The Wrath of Khan and people in the audience went where's the oh, two where's the two where's number two mm-hmm. well it's not on this screen. is the wrong movie <laughs> <laughs> so I read the book and I got to that part you know the Spoiler part. alert. Spoiler okay. alert. Spock dies. Four years okay. later, it's better. okay. Mm-hmm. I was so stunned. My mind was so blown. I just, I could not believe it. I had to share. So I go oh. running into my brother's oh, room. No, and say I said, Bill, so. Bill, Spock dies. It's Star Trek 2. He, I, look, he was six years older than I was. There was nothing I could do. It took me weeks to get out of the hospital. But it was, it was fine, you know? I mean, it was worth it. Uh, but I will say my uh, my proudest achievement as a Star Trek enthusiast is uh, I got to work with uh, Leonard Nimoy on Fringe. Oh, and I'm proud to say, like, it is one of, like, my, my favorite accomplishments in this business, along with getting uh, Wolverine to say, go yourself, uh, was getting Leonard Nimoy to say, bitch, 
I don't know why that like makes me so happy, but getting Leonard Nimoy to say gravity is a bitch, like just mm, it just fulfilled something. Did you show me. him a picture of Gene Roddenberry? <laughs> uh, and that probably that that would probably have done it. <laughs> I, I got close to him calling me, you know, because, when, when, because you know, I think at the eighth time we asked him to do Free Enterprise two, uh, I think he had had it at that point. <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you no? <laughs> right? no. Even even Christ gave up after three times. What are you t- <laughs> By the way, the the novel version of Star Trek: The Va- The Wrath of Khan was Vonda McIntyre. Yeah, that's correct. That yep. uh, who just passed away recently. Yes, but uh, but I remember. I did get that book, and I did not read it because I wanted to discover the movie. Right. You know, even 13 years old, uh, you know, June 4th, 1982, 6.30 p.m. at the New Orleans Theater in Northeast Philadelphia. And uh, I got in line, and my brother dropped me off after school. I was the second one in line, and you had to line up back in those days. And my dad showed up when he was done with work, and, you know, we all have seen the film. We know how it plays out. So I got home. I was really upset. I was in my room. I was crying. I, I took out all my Star Trek merchandise. I put it on that bed. I put I put all my, my photo novels. I lined them up, 1 through 12, on my bed. And then I took my poster books out, lined them all up. I took out my Topps cards from 76, which were you know very expensive to have in those days. And I was crying my eyes out. My dad knocked on the door. He said, what's wrong? So he opens up the door. He says, what's the matter? And I was like, <laughs> Spock died. So my father, clairvoyant that he is, rolls his eyes and he says, don't worry, he'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Very prescient. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, Darren. I mean, if if people, you know, we've heard sort of their early Star Trek memories. You know, you and I talked at length about our introduction and and love of Star Trek Mm -hmm. in our very first episode, Leaving Dry Dock. So if you are curious, you should go back to that first episode from last October. I think it's actually been, we've been doing this for about a year now. We've been doing it for a year. Yeah. So, uh, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Happy (laughs) anniversary. And happy anniversary to Star Trek 2009. I say very, 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 very happy anniversary to a movie that not only just gave life to a series, whether it was film or TV, that had become stale. But a film that was just entertaining by any measure, by any other name. Uh, a Darren, film that, which seats? Uh, are you no, okay? No, I'm, I'm all right. Okay, I, I love Star Trek 2009. <laughs> now, I remember, of course, the movie opened on May 8th, 2009, but I saw the film for the very first time on April 21st. It was 4.30 p.m. at the Paramount Theater on the lot. Yeah, that's when I saw now, it, too. The the publicity the publicity team at Paramount. Uh, by that point, I I'd known a lot of the regulars there for quite some time, and and over the years, especially when the the JJ movie was in development and production, you know, I was always calling, asking about it, and getting absolutely no news at all. So they were doing their jobs, but they knew that I was a yes, big it's fan. It's part of the publicity department to give you no news at all. No news at no, all. That, that's the big <laughs> change <laughs> in publicity in the last ten yeah, years. Right. Now the publicist's job is to, to to not be helpful, as opposed to in the past, well, like the days well, of Eddie Egan, where they actually wanted to help you. But here's where they were helpful. They did recognize that. Okay, here's a guy who works for a national entertainment show, and he's a big fan. Mm-hmm. Let's show him the movie as soon as it's ready. So I went to the screening on on April 21st, and there were 10 other people in the audience. That was oh, it. And that was not the screening. I that was, was not the press yeah, screening. Yeah, yeah, it was just a, a, a the first time that they showed a complete mm-hmm. version of who the Who were the film. other eight people? Uh, the other people... Uh, were personal publicists to the talent. Ah, gotcha. And and I was the only, you know, quote unquote press person who was actually in the room. So after the film, they they uh, you know, well actually there was there was a moment of uh clarity that I had sitting there in the moments before the movie started. Now, going back to to the Rick Berman shows over the years. Now of course like we're all sitting here our our first love is is the original series back when it was just called Star Trek. Right. Okay. It still is, but and it still is. Nobody <laughs> A B C. Nobody A B C or D. Okay. Now, I always felt that even though Next Gen Next Generation took me a couple seasons for me to finally embrace it because that's when it got great. Same thing with D Space Nine, a fundamentally different show that took me a couple seasons to embrace it. But I always felt like whether I liked this new show or not. Nothing will touch 
the original series. Nothing will touch my love for that show. Nothing will touch these characters. I could uh, a new show could be awful, but I will still have the original series. I will still have sure. the show that I love, and I and I taped with a uh, a tape recorder up to my TV, and I I bought the Betamaxes, I bought the VHSs, I bought the DVDs, and I bought the Blu-rays. Just waiting for the 4K, which probably won't happen. But I think it will. I think I, it will. I always felt like. Nothing will touch the original series. So I'm sitting there watching, you know, waiting for 2009 to start. And then it hit me. Whoa. Now they're messing with my boys. Because now you are... The re- Star Trek characters. That the Star right, Trek characters. Like messing with <laughs> your <laughs> <laughs> They were in touch you in a weird place. Yeah. Show me now, on the action figure where they touched you. <laughs> now you're messing with Kirk and Spock and yeah. McCoy and the rest of the gang. You're recasting them. With younger actors in in a, in a, a film that that already looks very different from what I'd seen in the trailer, or whatever, uh, and I got nervous because I don't have a game face. If I don't like something, I can't hide it. And they're going to ask me what I think. They brought me there for a reason, and I got to be honest. What if I don't like this movie? How is it going to? If I don't like this film, how is it going to affect the way I see the original series? You could brought the whole movie down. One 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 bad review, and it, it would have bombed. But but immediately, uh, like as soon as I saw the way Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and and definitely uh, Carl Urban, the way they were playing these characters, I stopped thinking about William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. And same just... thing happened to me on my wedding night. <laughs> <laughs> but I I just got into it. I I immediately. Uh, I, I immediately embraced the way they were playing these characters. I embraced the tone of the film. You got to remember, in in early two thousand nine, it had only been maybe like a half a year or so since the the bubble burst and the housing crisis imploded, and people were losing their jobs. You know, the banks almost like you know went out of business, and 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 big companies were 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 shutting down, and people were getting laid off, losing their jobs left and right. It was a very 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 bleak time, and here was a movie. The tone of the film was so vibrant and fresh and positive and charming and irresistible and fun. Things I had not felt from a Star Trek movie probably since 1986 with The the Voyage Home. And there was so much about the film that I loved that I was able to look past the contrivances in the plot. And there were quite a few. But I just loved so much about this movie. It was so fresh. It was so different. And and I felt like it complimented my love for the original series. Even when you get to the point on the bridge, at the midpoint through the film, when they're analyzing, when Spock starts analyzing the Romulan ship from the future, and he goes, the ship in the future, paraphrasing, has, has altered our futures, the, uh, altered our destinies, the futures that we were going to have, we are now not going to have. And I went, oh, wait a minute. So the doomsday machine sitting on the edge forever, trouble with tribbles, none of that's going to happen? Like you basically erase the original series? And then I went, no, wait a minute. This is an alternate timeline. All that exists. It's still out there. It's on Blu-ray. I can watch it whenever I want to. It's still there. This is an alternate timeline. And it's a compliment. Now they can do whatever they want. The sky's the limit. I applaud your ability to be so enthusiastic for things. Still. I wish I had that quality. Why don't you? Did you ever? For things that I love, I always do. I couldn't love this movie. Why? Because of the of the way they treated the characters. The character all of the characters in the film are screwing up left and right and doing things that would not succeed in any other reality. And yet they still succeed, and that doesn't jive with me. One of my one of my great loves of the original series is that these are all um, exemplary characters. They are all the best at what they do. They are always striving to uh, be the best people they can be. Uh, the you know have the best relations with with uh, others and. They're always constantly reaching for excellence. And that isn't happening in the 2009 movie. I I see your point. I understand why you feel that way. 
what I love about the original show and Next Generation, and I think the the misunderstanding that people have about Star Trek in general is when they say that Star Trek is about the perfection of humanity. That's wrong. Star Trek is not, not the wait, perfection. Hang on, hang on. Just it's hang about on. the reaching right. for it. I, I was going to say, Star Trek is not about the perfection. Star Trek is about reaching, reaching, you know, striving yeah. to be perfect, never quite getting there. Because even in the original series, they 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 misjudged things. Look at Devil Absolutely. in the Dark. Absolutely. They think this thing's a monster. They're going to kill it. No, wait, it's a mother protecting its young. Right. Look at the companion from my favorite episode, Metamorphosis. We got to get Commissioner Hefford off the planet or she's going to die. We got to kill this thing, get rid of it. But wait, it's a female in love with the man, Zephyr sure. Cochran. Turns it into a very beautiful love story. They're always learning. They're always striving to get closer to perfection, mm-hmm. never quite getting there. Well, with, with 2009, yeah, uh, the, the characters are, they are very different. And I just, I guess, after after Star Trek Nemesis and after the first three seasons of Enterprise, because uh, I did like the fourth season a lot, um, I just felt that Star Trek had become very, very stale. And here is a movie that tried something different, that was very different, and because it, it established itself in an alternate timeline, so it's not erasing what happened, it's just doing something different. I just felt that there were so many merits. Again, the positivity, the the brightness of it. It was a positive film. It wasn't dark. It was a, a bleak period of our time, mm-hmm. two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Here was something that was that was optimistic, just like the original series was optimistic at a time when times were bleak in the sixties. Here's here's something that would have that would have brought me in completely. Mm-hmm. The opening scene on uh, the Kelvin on the Kelvin. Visually, the visual language there mm-hmm. is no different from anything else in the movie. If they had started in a visually recognizable TOS environment and set it on a ship that belonged in the TV series, I would have had no problem with the whole reboot thing. But but, but it's but it starts off in this sort of weird uh, TNG kind of. Um, advanced timeline that doesn't that doesn't register with me. I, I I get that. I get, and a lot of people have said that, and I believe me, I've had a lot of conversations sure. with people who bring up that exact point, and I can't disagree with your your opinion on that at all. I I completely understand that point of view, but I guess from where I was sitting, you know, Star Trek had become so stale, and also it was two thousand nine. I am not expecting them to make. Uh, a starship look like it did when they were producing Star Trek in 1965, 64. Why not? The, the Millennium was Falcon looks exactly the same as but, it did 40 years ago. But it is the Millennium Falcon is different because it is a used version of a futuristic uh, of 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 a, of a no a different, only I, different in your mind. I, I disagree <laughs> completely. The Millennium Falcon can look the same because it's the Millennium Falcon. It looked. It looked a thousand years old to begin with. It was the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy, in that galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the Kelvin, <laughs> you know, so, by the way, no, wait, I'm glad that you brought up the, the beginning of, of Trek 2009 because that prologue, that prologue before the opening credits of the movie on the Kelvin with George Kirk sacrificing himself to save, you know, uh, his, his wife and young James T. Kirk, I felt like there was so much excitement and spectacle and energy and emotion and action in that prologue for that movie more than any other film, not just a Star Trek or Star Wars or, or sci-fi movie, but that prologue, there was so much to that that like like it had me. I was in. It had me at hello. Okay. Well, um, I got to go make a call. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask Ashley right. uh, about um, – you know what his response was to to the film. Obviously, a long time Star Trek fan. You walked into the theater in two thousand nine. This was a completely new Star Trek. Um, you know what was you know what was kind of your feeling? I mean, what was your takeaway what, globally? Sort of, you know, what did you think of of this this movie? So I, I walked in skeptical. I you know I I didn't really love the the trailers. They didn't do a lot for me. Um, but I thought that. The opening of that movie was so good. Mm-hmm. It was so strong. The emotions of it were so clear. And, and I understood what this movie wanted to be. 
that I was I was in. Um, the other thing that jumped out at me was how much I loved the cast. I think one of JJ's great talents is he is amazing at casting. And it's funny because I don't know that Chris Pine is is really sort of doing um, a, a William Shatner pasty. She's really more of a Harrison Ford as Captain Kirk, yeah. which I, I think is cool, which is which is what I liked about him. I ended up really, really digging this film. Um, and I it's funny because, Darren, I've known, obviously, for a long time of how you feel about the movie. Yeah. But it's funny. I, I didn't quite understand like what was what was behind that feeling. Now I do. Uh. Um and, and I think that's I think that's interesting. I mean, I agree a little bit with Scott that I think that that um the next generation got in its own way a lot when it tried to be about how humans were were perfect when really it wanted to be about the perfectibility of, of humanity. The striving for perfection. Exactly. Right. That said, um I didn't have the issues you did because I felt like that was kind of the point of the film that we were seeing these characters at a stage in their lives when they had not become the people that we understood to be Captain James T. Kirk um, that they hadn't gelled in those relationships that they hadn't quite found their footing that that changes in history and time had it especially left Kirk kind of swinging in the wind and not knowing who he was and that that was really his journey um, to the to the extent that when we did X-Men First Class, one of our models for how to break that down and turn that into a really turn that into a film was, you know, in in uh, Star Trek 2009, they didn't just assert a James T. Kirk and and move from there, which I, I, I think we could have done. It was it was reverse engineering, reverse engineering it a little bit. And I kind of wonder if, you know, there's um if if there if there isn't a problem with Star Trek in the movie world when there isn't a place for those characters to go in terms of their growth, right? It's like we look at what we, I think the movie we all obviously love the best because Jesus Christ, uh, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, no no two, right? Kirk has a place to go in that film. Mm -hmm. Um, He has doubts about himself. He screws up all over the place. I got caught with my pants down. You know what I mean? It's britches with my britches down. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I just—it's whatever he got caught with. He had his, his pants were around his ankles. Things were happening. Look, it was—it was really hot outside, and he was hungry, and there was Jello. Leave Kirk alone. Um, we know. It, look, it, I think we respond to that movie because of that. Frankly, even in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, um, there's quite a bit of that. There is there is in the movies that work. There is an effort to put those characters on a journey, and I think. In the context of this film, what I appreciated about it was it, it really was uh, trying to take us from a place where those people didn't know who they were to the place where they did. And frankly, I think that some characters, Uhura, got serviced better in the reboot than they were ever serviced in any of the filmed adventures. I mean, look, obviously these characters all have like great shit like in the novels and in the comics and all that other stuff. Um, but in terms of what we saw conveyed on film, I thought that was really great. I'd, but, go, I'd, go, I'd go along with that. And uh, trust me, I I have no problem with the casting. I think the casting is marvelous. I just wish the characters that they'd written mm-hmm. were more believable in this structure. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, the, the, you mentioned the X-Men First Class. I remember when I reviewed X-Men First Class in 2011. Uh, my review compared that movie to Star Trek 2009 very, very favorably because I felt like X-Men First Class did for the X-Men series what what Star Trek 2009 did for Star Trek. I mean, I mean because it honored the characters but, and but, it took them on a believable journey. See, I liked it for because me. it was fresh. It was different. It was a, a a shot of adrenaline. It was a burst of energy. It was it was there was a charm to it. It was an irresistible like like watching these characters find their way. Sure, uh, did I want to see uh, Kirk and Spock not getting along in Star Trek two thousand nine? Uh, no, that would not have been a preferred choice going in. But I don't have a problem with that. But yeah. I, I I have a problem with the reasons that they didn't get along. I, again, there are there are things about the story <laughs> that. The contrivances about the plot points of the yeah. story that I, I, as a critic, so to speak, I had issue with. Well, like, let me ask you then: How ahead. do you respond to a scene, for instance? The long, you know, you're talking about um, where Spock, um, instead of putting uh, uh, insubordinate Kirk in the brig, uh, puts him on a planet. Puts him on a planet. <laughs> banishes him to a planet. Right. I mean, this goes and, and, to by what the way, a planet that just so happens to have Spock Prime. Yes. Yeah, like. 
Bullshit. massive contrivance. Right. Um, and a giant planet where he runs into a cave and spot. Uh, oh. Just talking about, you know, you're taking certain liberties in the logic of the of the film. I mean, that's logic. one of many. You're talking about logic there. <laughs> We're, We're talking, talking about Universal Armageddon. Armageddon. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, uh, do I, I, did you gloss that? over that? Well, obviously, I don't or... gloss over it because I pointed out those contrivances when I first reviewed the film, and I and I talk about those contrivances when I'm trying to be fair to the movie. You know, uh, uh, love the film, faults and all, and th- that's a pretty big fault right there. Uh, also, the big uh, uh, exposition scene where Spock Prime is basically explaining the movie in the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the red man. But I did. I looked past it to the extent that I still enjoyed the film very much. There were so many other merits to the movie that I enjoyed it. Uh, again, going back to the 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 revelation, the epiphany that I had when when uh, Kelvin Spock is on the bridge, basically saying, "Hey, guess what? Everything that you know is gone. We're we're now uh, the sky is the limit. Our futures are unknown." You know, you want to talk about uh, going to Sarpedon and going back 5,000 years in the past? Not happening, at least not in this universe. You want to go to K- Space Station K7 and find Cyrano Jones and his uh, 1,771,561 so triples? Not happening. Uh, got it. So but, let me, it, but I, I loved that I like that they re- hit the reset button on a series that needed to hit the reset got button. Got it. Now, let me ask you, you know, one of the famous quotes that J.J. Abrams had um, was, I was did not grow up as a Star Trek fan. I was a Star Wars fan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to make a Star Trek movie. And I think some of the criticisms have been leveled as he made a Star Wars movie and not a Star Trek movie. Um, is that fair? Uh, is it? I, I see. I saw his point after he pointed that out. I saw it like, oh, okay. And now I, I got what he was trying to do because I yeah I read that quote after I'd seen the movie a couple of times, but that wasn't what I noticed about the film. I was looking at it through the lens. He made the maybe he made the film through the lens of being a Star Wars fan, which is quite obvious since he's also made now two other Star Wars movies. One's coming out on December twentieth, but but I saw the movie through the lens of a of a Trek enthusiast, and what I saw there was a movie that the relationships were a little rough around the edges, and uh, like how do you get this guy into the captain's chair by the end of the movie and and believe it. And believe that, not make it feel forced. And I felt like, I don't know really how that happened, but I did go with well, it. It's funny. I, I don't know on a plot level if that movie sold me that Kirk should have wound up in the captain's chair. But on a character level, in terms of how he evolved and sort of emerged uh, into his own sort of Kirkdom, uh, by the end of that thing, I believed that, okay, that is a, a Jim Kirk who could be a captain, um, which I think was something of an accomplishment. And I, and I think the thing that most appealed to me was, I don't know, I, I felt this this tremendous um, affection for all of those characters as they were portrayed on screen. And I really loved seeing how they developed. And I loved being excited by a Star Trek movie and by Star Trek in general because, uh, Scott, I don't think you're wrong, man. Like, I'm not exactly what you call the biggest Enterprise fan in the world. I don't want to like, throw shade at anything because it's all about the love here. But mm. but, but I'm going to throw a little bit of shade. I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> nemesis, d- dear Lord, what happened? You know, insurrection, like, Next Generation, like, went into the movie land. It made one, I think, really great movie and yep. everything else just sort of fell off a, fell off a cliff. It was a, it was a, dark time to yeah. be a Star Trek mm-hmm. fan I and agree. to have something that, that came out and that had such verve to it that had such life um, that was so positive yet wasn't bland um, I thought was great and I'll tell you what else I think was great about that film that Halloween I saw kids walking around in Starfleet uniforms man gold and blue going door to door going trick or treating I mean there's nothing about that that's bad I was at an airport that fall going back east uh, to see my family for the holidays. And I was at the gate at LAX and uh, waiting for my plane to board. And I saw this uh, this uh, young man. He must have been in his early 20s, you know, late teens, early 20s. And he's wearing a, a Star Trek insignia on his uh, lapel of his, uh, of his shirt. And I went, oh, I, I, point, you know, I got all excited. I saw the insignia. I said, oh, which show was your favorite? And he goes, I just love the movie. And I said, uh, have you seen any uh, 
any other shows? He goes, no, no, I, I just love the, I just love the film. So let me ask you, Darren, because you've made no secret of the fact that you're obviously not a fan of the movie. Um, you know, does the fact that, you know, certainly, you know, Leonard Nimoy's involvement validate in any way? Obviously, he was a big booster for the show and the new group of characters and new actors. And, and, and uh, you know, he was a big advocate for, for the value of the of the of, of this film. Does, does Leonard's validation or benediction mean anything to you? Um it it fills my heart with sadness, actually. Ah, oh. because it it uh, it seemed uh, it seemed wrong, and it seemed that Leonard didn't really understand Star Trek. Okay. That, that's what it seemed. Well, just uh, hold on a second. Um, my my sadness for this is that it seemed to me as if they had taken all the trappings of Star Trek. And uh, resurrected it from the dead, but it was a zombie, and that it was the it was the dead corpse of Star Trek being puppeted around. Mm. And obviously, a lot of people, you know, enjoyed it, and that's fine. It's good to enjoy things, but I think that there there was something that was completely missing from it. That the things that attracted me to Star Trek was completely not in there at all. And that this new bunch of fans were responding to something completely different that I I I didn't I didn't connect with at all. If, yeah, Scott's if, shaking his if head. The fans well, so I again I, I, I see your point. I what I don't agree with at all is that uh this was this was a a a a, a, a dead uh, property. I, if anything, Star Trek Richard to me, Bennett called it a beached whale. I right? I thought Star Trek 2009. I thought I felt like Star Trek felt more alive than it had since uh, the heyday that the, the when when Deep Space Nine hit its stride in in its in the mid part of its run. I felt like Star Trek was alive, and I was willing, I was embracing the differences of this Star Trek, like when when Spock and Uhura get on the turbo lift in the film, mm-hmm. and they start making out. I went, whoa. And then I went, okay, okay. This is different. This is unexpected. Let's go. Not Let's totally, keep going with not that. Not totally unexpected. But I, well, not totally. If you really, really read into it, I see where you're going with that. But again, it was, for the most part, at that time on first viewing, unexpected. And I went, what? Uh, okay. Let's go. Not for true I, gamesters. Uh, I, <laughs> I want to ask uh, you, Ashley, do you feel that, you know, part of the passion that people have for, for it is a reflection of the fact that this is probably the first Star Trek movie since Star Trek, the motion picture that had a real budget. So it had scope. Now, Budweiser plant as engineering, notwithstanding <laughs> that this is a movie that had a, a real budget. And so it had a scope and sort of, uh, you know, bigger set pieces. I mean, you know, obviously... Uh, you know when it started testing, while well, they went back, and you know the 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 jump where they destroy the um, uh, you know the, the 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 mining platform that was added in reshoots. There were a couple of notable scenes, bigger action scenes that they added in in reshoots. But do you feel like you were seeing the budget on screen, and partially that's what people were responding to? I mean, very possibly. I, I think at the at the very least, one of the things that Star Trek has struggled with on the feature side is how much of it feels as though it was made by the TV division mm-hmm. or with a sort of a very television philosophy with the exception of Star Trek The Motion Picture and to some extent Star Trek First Contact. Right. Uh, it, it, arguably, you can say the same thing about Voyage Home, but it's but it's but it's you almost can't compare that one because of its its setting. We don't even see an Enterprise it's until the end of the yeah, film. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that it was easier for the audience to embrace Star Trek 2009 because it didn't feel like something that they could just kind of turn on their TV and just and watch that episode, which is not to cast aspersions on the episodes that we all love, not by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. Um, but Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. I'm practicing saying it without a two. <laughs> Star Trek: The The Wrath Stay of Khan. Yeah, it, it'll grow on it you. It works exactly. It works in it works in spite of its production limitations because Nicholas Meyer embraced them and made it feel like a submarine movie, mm-hmm. right? So it's okay. So it's uh, you know it's run silent, run deep with like photon torpedoes. I'm in. I'm cool. Plus, we hadn't had any bloody 
Star Trek, except Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know how long. Uh, so it was just it was just we were just damn glad to be there. On top of that, it's a it's a great movie. But but with two thousand nine, I, I I do think that the scope of that film helped, and it helped not just because wow, it looks big, and they're spending a lot of money on the on the special effects. But you know, but the more you can kind of put into the into the visuals of a thing and into the sound design of a thing, the more immersive it becomes. I mean, we all know this. This is all just filmmaking. Um, the the more that the experience feels um, transactional in an, an emotional way and kind of lives here, like rather than, or living, you know, viscerally, rather than living in our heads. Um, rightly or wrongly, I think Star Trek very often gets a bad rap for being... Um, intellectual and I don't mean but not like in a good way it is intellectual right. but like intellectual in a very sort of heady sort of in distance a bookworm way. In, sense. In, a, in a bookworm sense like Roddy McDowell like yes. Roddy McDowell um, you know or uh, or you know Meredith uh, uh, Burgess uh, and you know like, Burgess I'm Meredith Burgess, did I say Meredith Burgess Meredith like Burgess. Jessica Puttermaker yeah. oh, we should just never say names <laughs> on this no, show it's gonna become Sorry. I'm off the hook now yep <laughs> now I'm Meredith Burgess <laughs> She was Jessica and Puttermaker's best friend. Yes. Yeah, they were. Uh, they had a sewing circle. It was. Uh, it was, it was yeah, quite amazing. Fuck you. Uh, no. It, that, <laughs> yeah. well, the uh, it it didn't have that. Um, I, I think that that sense that it was sense of cold enterprise. And, yeah. Well, no. That that sense of being distant, um, or just about being smart, or you know what I mean? Like, which I love all of that shit, but I also love it when Star Trek has blood in its veins, which is why I love the original series and why I love Deep Space Nine so much and why I think the best episodes of Next Gen are kind of the best episodes of Next Gen. They blood in their veins? Yeah, blood in their veins. They did it. And Star Trek 2009 definitely had blood in its veins. It is a movie that feels alive. And again, uh, you know, the comparison to mid-Deep Space Nine. But when I reviewed it at the time, I said that Star Trek 2009, uh, it was a Star Trek movie for people who don't like Star Trek. I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, especially my friends at the time when I was working at Access Hollywood, you know, show like that. Not a lot of Trekkers there uh, or Trek enthusiasts. But they like the Kardashians. But they, but they love the Kardashians. The Kardashian <laughs> Empire. They, a lot of people went, wow, that movie was really great. So I was like, great, awesome. All right, so it's opening Star Trek to people who, who might have not gone to see it. But the other thing is Scott, it was a – I, I, I also said it was, it was not just a great Star Trek movie. Scott. It was a great movie, period. Hang on. Let me just say. So this movie called – Cost 170 million dollars to make, and it made uh, 257 million dollars domestically, which may not sound a lot in the day of Avengers Endgame, but it was and still is the highest-grossing domestic release for a Star Trek movie ever. Not adjusted for inflation. Uh, not adjusted for inflation because I think uh, Star Trek Into Darkness came out the following year or, or 2013. Didn't make as much domestically, but it made like $450 million worldwide. That's the highest-grossing Star Trek movie worldwide. Uh, I think that this movie has a lot of blood in its veins. It's, it's, a, it's a movie that feels alive. Now, I have a question for Darren who feels it's anemic. Uh, blood, um, and of course, no, it's blood. It's my blood. Yeah, so, 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 no, let me, but let me let me let me let me ask you this because you know I want to come back to something you said at the very beginning, yeah. where you were talking about that the characters didn't behave in a smart way, in a, yeah. in a logical way, and I think an example of that perhaps, and tell me if you mm-hmm. agree, is when you know Kirk is thrown uh, beamed down to the planet and he confronts this CGI creature that looks like something out of the thing. Um, uh, he runs in terror, and there's all this right. looping. Ah, oh, and he's falling down a hill. Now, the Kirk of the series, in my mind, would have seduced it. Well, <laughs> you know, we, you look at an episode like Arena, where he, you know, puts together a gunpowder and comes up with some clever solution. Right. It, 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 you know, and to to but me, Kirk- this. This seems to reflect what Darren's saying about the movie is that Kirk, instead of being smart, he runs, he runs. and screams and uh, runs into a cave and, and Spock. Shatner would have stood there and first tried to reason with it. What does God Second, with the tried to uh, try to find a way to distract it. Third, um, try to find a, a, a rudimentary lathe. You know, <laughs> um, he would have been clever. There's nothing clever in the movie. Maybe if it wasn't so big. That thing was huge. 
Like, I mean, really, like how much time is it going to have to sit there Scott, and look for sulfur and size, diamonds and, size and, matters and coal and create a weapon to kill the Gorn? It's I, no, a, no, no, a different no, kind no, no, of no, no, setting. Scott, I, I'm only asking you that question, but at the same I point. I see your point. But, but, but I'm, I'm, I don't on. think that's No, a, I don't a, think you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, It's not about literally creating gunpowder. It's about coming up with a clever solution. Clever. Look, my when, when you were talking there that it's it's Star Trek made for people who don't like Star Trek. Why are we making Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek? But it is also a movie for people who do like Star Trek. No, it's because not. That's I insane. love Star Trek I know, and I love I think, the film. I think I saw both sides. You're brainwashed, Scott. <laughs> you're, there's something. There's something. There's something been taken uh, away. Believe me, I'm not brainwashed. You, when you it don't. Comes to Star you don't Trek. remember the time when the when the Men in Black came in and did that little flash at you at the end of the screening? But believe me, when it comes to Star Trek, <laughs> I am not. My love for Star Trek is not absolute. There's Star Trek that I love, and there's Star Trek that I don't like. And I know the difference. And I see your point. Yeah, that would have been a great moment to have Kirk come up with a with a, uh, 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 a, a way for him to be smart, for him to think, to be quick on his, on his feet, and, and come up with something to really think. And this is why this guy is the captain of a starship, because he is smart. Yeah, that, yeah you're right. That would have been awesome, but that didn't happen. Now, you talk about being a crowd pleaser. There's no question it's definitely a crowd pleaser. Um, you know, at the same time, there's certain sequences that are put in to be crowd pleasing that, in a way, you could argue diminish the film. Like when Scotty is beamed into the Willy Wonka sequence where he's right. stuck in a tube. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of this really goofy, screwball comedy sequence. Sure. You know, so, uh, you know, do you feel like the Star Trek, the, the, maybe the movie was reaching too hard to bring in, reach beyond the cult? That... Look, my, every, my, my feeling about it. Uh, covers every scene in the film um, because every scene in the film is there to uh, aspire to the the baser instincts in an audience mm. to have a direct sort of visceral connection with an audience and excite them or um, uh, agitate them or uh, uh, you know pull them along on the fast adventure gotcha. and you know that is a valid way to get an audience but it's not it's not what it's not what uh, attracts me to an entertainment. Now, but, ultimately, you have I, I would think some similar concerns, and yet, unlike Darren, you feel the movie overall works. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you know sort of your sort of global takeaway you know from it all. So, I think that what Star Trek two thousand nine is, it's an interpretation of Star Trek, right? On sure. some level. Every show has been some interpretation of what Star Trek is. It's a and, cover and just, band. Well, no, it's more than that. Like it's a it's a fair interpretation of Star Trek. But as with anything, as with any interpretation, you know, there are there are things that it keeps. There are things that that it reflects. There are things that that don't appear. And the thing uh, that has most defined Star Trek fandom for me, right? It's like something we don't we don't talk about a lot is infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That Star Trek fandom is not a monoculture. It's not monolithic. That Uh, much is certain. And, (laughs) you know, there are there are things that um, you know that that appeal to me that might not appeal to you and and vice versa. And I think it's all it's all valid. And I think sometimes, like you know, I I know that I have certain blind spots for certain of the uh, of the television shows that 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 shall remain nameless um, in the in the sense that I just cannot get behind them. Um, but that said, I don't think it invalidates a Star Trek story as a Star Trek story because I can't quite get behind it because I or or I think also that perhaps it blinds me a, a bit to the things that really are true and really are valid because to me what Star Trek 2009 is really about is it comes down to the scene with Bruce Greenwood. I was about to say Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Although Bruce Campbell as Captain Christopher Pike would be effing amazing. With Bruce Greenwood. Uh, Campbell Greenwood. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. With, uh, with you know, uh, Captain Pike and, uh, and Kirk. And it really effectively told this story about, you know, what it is to, you know, grapple with all of the things that hold you back 
mm-hmm. right, that want to keep you in one place, that want to prevent you from succeeding, from, one would say, reaching for the stars, right? That's what destiny is, um, becoming the best version of ourselves. because it's easier not to become the best version of ourselves and not to try. And what's great about that story is it follows this, this young Kirk through this adventure um, that tests him in a way that causes him to embrace what that destiny might be without him just accepting, you know, just 100%. Like what Nero says is like James T. Kirk was a great man. And, and he is a great man. And this Kirk is still becoming him, right? So Agreed. what I walked away from with that movie was this feeling that, you know, that, that greatness, as you say, is that is that thing that we aspire to to have, to mm-hmm. understand. Um, but we can't let it be a ghost, whether it's for us, the ghost of the original series, or for Jim Kirk, the ghost of his father, George Kirk, who did, like, let's face it, again, in that teaser, like, one of, like, the most, like, heroic goddamn things. Agreed. Like, in, Completely. It, for me, in Star Trek mm-hmm. history. Like, I, I love that moment. Like, mm-hmm. that is, like, it's a great moment. Um, and how does that not haunt uh, somebody like a Jim Kirk. And so, and I think that's a valid Star Trek story because it gets to um, what I think Star Trek is really about, which is who are we really and how do we become the best versions of ourselves? I agree. And also, the striving of perfection. Yeah. Which, throughout the course of that film, Kirk especially is trying to do something he's been trying to do in the prime timeline from. 1965 when they first started filming Where No Man Has Gone Before up until 94 when he, you know, his death was wasted, the Valley of Fire in Generations. But on top of everything you said, which I wholeheartedly 100% agree with, Star Trek needs to grow. It needs to evolve. It needs to take risks. It needs to take chances. Sometimes those risks Learn all work. that is learnable. And report back to the or, or die trying. Um, I felt like this movie took a lot of risks. For the most part, the risk paid off. It doesn't pay off for everybody, clearly. Mm-hmm. But Star Trek is still trying to take chances. Sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't. Again, my love for Star Trek is not absolute. If I don't like Star Trek, I'll say so. But I love the 2009 movie. See, now you've said all these thoughtful and passionate things. And all I want to <laughs> say is something frivolous and ridiculous, which is... <laughs> You know, and this is total deep dive fan nonsense. But, you know, to me, I can't believe that they, you know, they had this big hulking guy who tormented Kirk, kept calling him Cupcake, right? Why he wasn't Finnegan, Finnegan? I have yeah. no idea. No, I'm with you. <laughs> it was like so obvious. They, and, yeah, they uh, could have done more fan service they with that. Just called, all they had to do was call him Finnegan. Finnegan, yeah. Uh, to me, that was as much of an oversight as in Generations not making Kirk's girlfriend eat a killer. Jason, not nearly Matthew as much Smith. of an oversight as at the very end when Picard took like the Horgon and or whatever the hell it was and he threw it away. The like, Horgon? No, no, no. In Captain's Holiday? And, no, no, no. Yeah. No, the, no, it's no, the, no, it was it's the, the thing the, from the thing like, with, the, with the shattering yeah. sound. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I listen, know. you know, it's so funny because I, I really wanted to also talk about uh, Into Darkness, and I wanted to talk about Star Trek Beyond, and I want to talk about your brush with a Star Trek movie as well. But, you know, we're kind of out of time, so... Uh, so next time. So, next time. I, Scott, next I time. hope you'll, Look, you'll come one back. Of the, one of the great things about this is because we do embrace positivity, and even though we may differ... We still love each other, uh, and we absolutely. still appreciate each For other. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's how we are not like the internet. You can, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We say this a lot. I'm so glad you said that, Darren, because this is a show, you know, we, we've said in the past, it's about the love and not the hate. Yeah. But you can still disagree can still about things and yeah, part yeah, his friends. Respectfully yeah. disagree. You can yeah. still respect Scott-ish. Um, after he, no, he's hey, ish, we can admit that we're killers, but we're not going to kill. Yeah, look, today. Hey, ultimately, that is the message of Star yeah. Trek. You know, and it wouldn't be fun if we all. And agreed that's about the everything. infinite diversity. So I mean, you know, you have Darren on one hand who didn't like the movie, Scott who loves the movie, and then you have Ashley, Ashley who, who's is, is in the middle. Forth, so yeah. it's it's great, and then you have me moderating. Hmm. So um, <laughs> it's a it's a fascinating uh, look at the uh, at the whole Magilla. So okay. <laughs> Anyway, Scott, thank you. Thank Ashley, you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. As always, thanks for joining us on Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a fan of the podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 430 Movie every Friday, Rebel and Rogue, Star Wars Podcast every Tuesday, and Best Movies Never Made every other Monday. You can also now watch video podcasts of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts on the Electric Now uh, app 
Uh, you can check it out on Stir TV or also Distro TV. You can download at, at the App Store. And um, Stir has a, a great program guide, so you can find out what episodes of Inglorious Trexperts are, are streaming. And then you can actually look at us. I don't know why you'd want to, As but Jack Torrance says, "Check it out." Check it out. Thank you. Yes. No. You. You. Uh, and the, the video podcasts are great because you can see us making faces at each right. other, what we're drinking. This is Arbon uh, Fizzy. It's um, not Romulan ale. Pomegranate. It's not. It's pomegranate fizzy, which. Uh, uh, keeps me awake through these podcasts, like when. Um, <laughs> so uh, and uh, got to have you back more often. Finally, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm bouncing off the walls now. I'm not falling asleep many times in. Finally, uh, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter. Bill Ritter, are thanks you a fan Bill. of 2009, Star Trek 2009, or just a um, year? Um, I'm, I'm lukewarm. Lukewarm, medium. I'm in the middle. Or medium. Kirk, Kirk warm. Now, Natalie, our producer, is not a huge Star Trek fan. She 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 suffers through these episodes. So I'm curious, uh, uh, did you see 2009? I did. What did you think of it? I liked it. Yeah. All right. Thank there, you. There, there we are. are. Make uh, it Star Scott's Trek point for him. people who don't like Star Trek. So, right. uh, again, uh, to all of you out there, um, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next Saturday for an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. Until then. Until then. Go boldly. That's not how we ended. Oh, how do you end it? That's not how we ended it. Like, Scott, I know you're used to moderating, but let me explain. You're the guest. <laughs> you're not the Trexpert. You're a Trek enthusiast. We're the Trexperts. <laughs> Tell him, Mark. Tell him, Mark. Tell him, Mark. Tell that live longer. Weirdly, no, we I say, think that was the first episode of Star I don't even remember I what we say. Something about it gloriously trekking or keep keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Shh. Engage. The show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.